Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. Hey, it's me. I figured since I started season six with some personal stories of what I have been going through in my life, I should end this season with an update on how things have been going personally. I want to thank everyone who reached out with support and love for the things our family has endured. When we left off, my mother, Veronica, was in a 96-hour hold at a mental facility, which luckily went through a weekend, so it was actually more than 96 hours in total. She was released on a Monday because they couldn't hold her any longer. They determined my mom was not homicidal and she was not suicidal, and in their words, it's not illegal to be demented. After all, she is still an adult and she was responsible for herself and her actions, regardless of whether that led up to her institutionalization or not. Astonishingly, the staff were ready to put her in a cab in which she could have requested to go literally anywhere. Thankfully, my Aunt Bonnie, Veronica's younger sister, who lives in Missouri, then took her to the house she lost in foreclosure at her request. There was nothing Bonnie could do, so she dropped Mom off and then watched her from nearby. The guy who bought the house at auction, Kevin, he watched her too. He was part of our team of monitoring Mom to know when she was at the house because his team was working there and we needed to know where she was if she showed up anywhere at all. We coordinated for Kevin to call the police because, in essence, Mom was trespassing at his house. The police picked her up again, then dropped her at the Hampton Inn nearby in Belton. I called to introduce myself to the staff there, explaining Veronica's story, and they unwittingly became part of my team. It was weird to have Mom out on the street, independent, but not at her house. The only thing I was certain about was she was definitely going to try to go back to that house. And she did. The next morning, she went down to the front desk at the hotel and bummed a ride from a hotel front desk staff person who was getting off from his night shift. My mother, the super risk-averse, safety-conscious woman I had always known, had just bummed a ride from a total stranger. When she got to the house, apparently she couldn't get in the front door, so she somehow opened the garage door and went in the house through that entry door. I'm sure you can imagine Kevin's pure shock when he showed up to the house to find Veronica inside like some paranoid schizophrenic magician. She spoke harshly to Kevin and said she called the mortgage company and they said he could not pay the mortgage. Of course, she made no such call. The next morning, my mother tried to walk to the house from the Hampton Inn. That's a five-mile walk. And keep in mind, she's 74 years old with a diagnosed blood clot in her leg. And it was bitter cold outside in February. The next morning, she took a cab to the house. Later in the week, she eventually rented a car, and all I could do was hope for the best. One evening, the staff at the front desk of the Hampton Inn called me because she was still out well into the evening, which was uncharacteristic for her routine. Usually, she'd get up in the morning and go downstairs for breakfast, go back upstairs and pack up everything in her room, take her belongings out to her car, and tell the staff she was going home. They stopped calling me to ask if they should hold her room at the hotel because even though she portrayed that she was checking out, she always came back a few short hours later. But that night, 
she was still out and it was getting dark. Mom had called the hotel and spoken to Shauna at the front desk to get directions. Veronica was calling from the gas station less than a quarter of a mile from the hotel, so Shauna expected her to pull up any minute, but she didn't. 45 minutes later, she still hadn't shown up. I called the police to ask them to be on the lookout for her rental car. Of course, after phone calls to the hotel, phone calls to the police to give them a make and model of her rental car, and the police sending out a bulletin to be on the lookout for my mother, she waltzed in the hotel lobby and went up to her room. The whole ordeal of trying to care for another person and stay up to date on their whereabouts is exhausting. You reach a point of self-preservation where you just kind of say, you know what, there's nothing I can do. I just hope she's okay. Then the COVID-19 pandemic struck and a whole new set of worries washed over Bonnie and me. We had been trying to get mom into a care facility, hoping that if we moved her stuff to an independent living facility and we could get her there to see her new place, she'd be down to move. But the opportunities to place mom went into lockdown, just like everyone else. So mom was stuck at the hotel. Honestly, given how rapidly the virus has infected some nursing homes and elder care facilities, it may have been better for mom to be at the hotel in a room by herself with very few guests around. While all of this was going on, I was waiting for the guardianship process that I had initiated back in February when I was in Missouri to make some progress. When I started the process, I was feeling good about getting a court date, getting guardianship over my mother, and therefore some control over her well-being. I was looking forward to putting out the little fires that were burning around her like her credit card likely getting maxed out on a rental car contract with no return date and an extended stay at a hotel with no foreseeable end date to name a few of the things. But when the world shut down to quarantine at home, the Missouri courts did too, so her hearing date got moved. We finally had a virtual hearing with a judge on June 3, 2020, and I was granted guardianship over my mother, which she vehemently opposed. She was mentally unregulated because she was not adhering to any medication regimen. Basically, she was mad at everything. I learned later she was manic. Mind you, while all of this was going on and we're in quarantine, I started a new job, which is great, but I've only met all of my coworkers on little rectangular boxes on my laptop screen. I'm trying to learn the ropes of my new job while I was managing the homeschooling of my sixth grader, Seth, who, on the best of days, hates school. We were trying to get him to learn to check his email, his Google Classroom, the county's learning portal, and whatever learning platforms the teacher chose to implement as they moved their classrooms into a virtual world. Oh, and my wife cracked her ankle while walking the dog on the very first day of quarantine here in the D.C. area, so she was completely out of commission as quarantine began. I'm going to the grocery store with a mask on, in long-ass lines, waiting for the bouncer to let me in the front door so I can not buy toilet paper and over-purchase cookie dough, chips, and ice cream. And amidst all of that was the struggle to make the case that the police force were brutalizing people of color, and it was unfair because black lives matter. Life was pandemonium. Back on mom, when I told her that I was trying to help her find a new place to live and move her stuff out of storage, she hissed at me like a venomous snake. I do not need your help, Damon. I have moved all across this country by myself, and I have owned homes for years without your help. I will start looking for apartments when I am ready. 
and the vitriol just spewed on. I just kind of sat there on the phone quiet and said, okay. I had a smirk on my face that was a combination of disbelief and disappointment for where we were in that moment and desperate hope that she didn't need me and somewhere in the confusing maze of her mind, there was a plan. But I knew there wasn't. So I waited. I couldn't get her to leave her hotel room, but I also knew she couldn't hold it together much longer. I knew she was going to screw up somewhere, either at her old home, where the new homeowners would have to call the police, or there at the hotel, where the staff would be forced to call the police as well. Both happened. Mom was caught on the new homeowner's ring doorbell video system, moving their bird feeder across the street, and somehow she still had a key to her former front storm door of the house, so she locked it forcing the family to enter their own home through their garage. Her mental state began to deteriorate at the hotel, too. She was talking about people selling her drugs, blaming the cleaning staff for using the wrong kinds of chemicals that could poison her, and standing out in the parking lot next to her rental vehicle shouting, but never driving off. She would go back into her room, where the shouting continued as she banged on the walls. The manager and I agreed. The next time that happened, he would have to call the police to have her removed, and we would start the institutionalization process and medication regimen again. Today, my mother is in care. Social workers are trying to find a memory care facility for her to go to. As her guardian, I'm starting to gain control of her finances in a guardianship account for her benefit. She's not allowed to drive anymore, and pretty soon we'll have her placed, and hopefully they can get her regulated but she's going to be pissed, and it sucks. But she'll be safe, and she won't be able to risk her physical nor financial well-being nearly as much as if she was still out on her own. I have to take a few moments to thank some great people who have been supportive of Bonnie and me throughout all that we've been through so far. Sergeant Bergman and everyone in the Raymore, Missouri Police Department, they know my mother by name, have been dealing with her for years, and as far as I can tell have been patient and kind with her. The staff of the Belton, Missouri Police Department, who got to know our family pretty well too over the past several weeks as we tried to keep tabs on mom in that neighboring town. The staff of the Fairfield Inn, including James, Susan, and their whole team. In the early days of mom's ordeal, recognizing that mom was effectively homeless, James comforted me by saying, I tried to put myself in your shoes, and I would want someone to have my mom's back if she was in this situation, so don't worry about her. We'll take care of your mom while she's here. I need to thank the team at the Hampton Inn, who, just like the Fairfield, got to know mom and me by name. That wonderful woman named Shauna took my calls daily and kept a watchful eye out on mom. That evening when mom called for directions to the hotel, Shauna called to let me know she was going off shift, but that she had told her team all that was going on. When I spoke to Shauna the next morning, she said she called back to the hotel after she got home to make sure mom was safe. The world is filled with good people, and I've encountered so many. My Aunt Bonnie, who worries about her sister every day and has tirelessly organized her friends and our family to help us out with mom and her stuff. Kevin and Sandy and their children, who so graciously helped us move my mother out of her home in a single day. Kevin and I still text and call every once in a while, and with a great Missouri farmer's accent, he says, How's your mama? All of the social workers out there who step into challenging, confusing, perilous situations, 
facing people like Veronica, who can't calculate what's best for them, so they fight. All of the frontline responders on the police forces, in the ambulances, and at the hospitals and psych wards who encounter people every single day and try to help them the best way they can. I'm sure it must be hard to go home at the end of their shift, morning, afternoon, or night, and wonder, whatever happened to that person you helped on your shift, hoping they're okay? But this is just my story, one of millions out there. Others around us are struggling, suffering, and challenged in a variety of ways, personally, professionally, in their own health, or with the health and welfare of their loved ones. I've had guests who signed up to be on the show come back to say they have to postpone their interview because dear relatives are dying or other elements of their lives are blowing up. We all go through challenging stuff, and just as we are adoptees who are supportive of one another because of our shared experiences, we all have to be supportive of one another for our shared human experience. You know, whenever someone was down, I would try to encourage them that things would eventually get better by saying, the sun always comes out. After sharing some of what I've been through with my biological father, Bill, I said it again, the sun always comes out, trying to give myself a little bit of hope for the future. With the wisdom of a lifetime on earth, in his words, he told me, that's the thing, Damon, the sun is always there. You just have to find it. I hope that change in perspective will mean something for you as it did for me. Okay, that's it for me now. I'm off for the summer. I've already begun interviewing the next season of adoptees for the show that will come out this fall of 2020. I'm going to do some writing, real estate investing, and try to re-energize my mind. I hope you'll make time to do the same for yourself. Take care. All the best. <laughs>